hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Let's listen in to just a few clips that have occurred through the major media and social media over the last few days to weeks on how a narrative regarding the pandemic response and the COVID-19 mass vaccination program is essentially crumbling. Let's start out with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Among some local governments uh, to force the fire the police to do a COVID jab or else potentially lose your job. And we said that that's inappropriate in the state of Florida. You should not have to choose. You shouldn't have to choose between a job that you need and, and a shot that you may not want. And so we said that's an individual's decision and we're not gonna stand for that. So we said immediately the government agencies, you can't do it. We even provided protection for employees of private companies because we know how uh, important those jobs were to them as well. But just think about, you had police, fire, rescue, EMT, who had been on the front lines of all this for from the very beginning and everyone was saying how thankful they were then a year and a half later you turn around and you want to fire them because they made a different choice than you're thinking that they should have made and a lot of these folks had already had covid they did have immunity through prior infection the cdc did not recognize that for a long time even though it was obvious and it was at that point a basic scientific fact and so uh, we're proud that that we protected jobs in the state of florida and we've had people come from other departments around the country just for this issue alone uh, that's not how you treat people and that's not how we treat people in the state of florida but ron DeSantis had- is absolutely on track and as a political figure, we've had a chance to see DeSantis grow over time. My assessment was initially he was kind of shaky, a young governor, and, you know, he's dealing in a world, a world of medical biotechnology, which is a daunting world. And for someone who has no training or expertise in this compared to someone like myself, where, gosh, since the time I graduated high school to the time I was fully baked, it was 17 years. You just can't expect any public official from the president on down to have authority in the medical conversation on COVID-19. But you can expect them to get good advice, which DeSantis did. He uh, recruited as a Surgeon General, Joe Ladapo, who's done a terrific job. Joe's a Harvard-trained UCLA internist, a colleague of mine. Uh, We worked on one of the very first studies of hydroxychloroquine together. Uh, Ladapo has given great advice to DeSantis. DeSantis has reached out to others to get advice like good politicians should do. And look where he is right now. Uh, he's on the right track. He's claiming um, he's con- con- claiming uh, victory, in a sense, for these important decisions for medical freedom. Let's go on to Senator Ron Johnson, who all of you are familiar with. He's been an absolute stalwart in bringing truth forward. Here he is in a Senate proceedings, and he has up on the screen 
uh, SARS-CoV-2 variants of concern, variants under investigation in England. Technical briefing 23. So he's going back to September 17th, 2021 and bringing the evidence uh, forward as a standing U.S. senator. Let's listen in just for a minute. It was published and they were publishing other similar information during that time period when President Biden lied to the American public that this was a pandemic of the unvaxxed. And if you got vaccinated, you're not going to get, you're not going to go to the hospital, you're not going to be an ICU unit, and you're not going to die. Well, 63.5% of the people fully vaccinated were dying in England at the exact same time. Why didn't you pull this? Have you ever labeled the President of the United States' comment as, a, as misinformation? Have you ever done that? Any of you? I'll take that as a no. So again, I, I just wonder who are the authorities, who do you think you are to censor information from eminently qualified doctors who had the courage and compassion to treat COVID patients when the NIH guideline was basically, if you, get te- if you test positive for COVID, COVID, go home, be afraid, isolate yourself, don't do anything until you're so sick, we'll send you to the hospital, we'll give you remdesivir, where we have 1,600 deaths so far, we'll put you on a vent and we'll watch you die. You guys bear a fair, respo- fair amount of responsibility for hundreds of thousands of people not being treated, and I would say probably dying that didn't have to die. Hope you're proud of yourselves. So. Well, I can tell you, Johnson did a terrific job. He's schooling the media there and the complicity of the media in the COVID-19 disastrous false narrative. You know, these are some clips that have just come out in the last week. This is contemporary statements that in many ways is just absolutely exonerating uh, those who are calling for early treatment of a rational and fair evaluation of the vaccines. And in many, in many ways, uh, this is now, in a sense, just pouring it on, and the public is reeling with respect to these breaking developments. Now, let's bring up Dr. Scott Youngblood. Now, let me tell you, just by context, I know Scott Youngblood and his family and his wife. They live in San Diego. He's a recently retired surgeon. After years of service in the military, he's a military officer. He's an academic physician. He's a man of respect and of reasonability. And he is addressing the San Diego School Board and uh, other city officials. You have got to hear this. This is really a stunning presentation. Let's listen in Dr. Scott Youngblood. And he's been to the uh, San Diego City Council before, so he's giving an update and uh, and he's so clear and his slides are so clear. I will make sure they're on Vimeo and I'll make sure that they are in the program notes here, but let's listen in to Scott Youngblood. And I'm here to discuss the COVID-19 vaccines and how effective they have been during the pandemic, specifically on transmission. I know you are considering extending the COVID emergency here and I would like to present evidence today that the vaccine mandates enabled by the state of emergency may actually be making things worse. As you can see on the first slide, national leaders have promised the American people that if you got the vaccines, you could not catch or transmit the virus. Next slide. Unfortunately, this turned out to be false. In just the past few weeks, four prominent national figures 
the President, First Lady, Secretary of Defense, and the CEO of Pfizer all got infected with COVID-19, some for the second time. All were quadruple vaccinated, all went on Paxlovid, a very strong antiviral medication. Any critical thinker would have to ask the question, four shots of a vaccine and you still get it? And when you do, have to, and when you, do you have to go on a strong medication? It must not be that good of a vaccine. Next slide. Well, so-called breakthrough infections became so common, uh, they dropped the term. And rather than admitting that it wasn't a good vaccine, the CDC literally changed the definition from something that produced immunity to something that stimulated an immune response. Next slide. The only potential justification for a vaccine mandate is if it prevents infection and transmission. All of these promises were made based on no scientific data as none of the original vaccine studies even looked at these questions. People's careers have been ended and lives have been shattered by mandates based on conjecture, not science. Next slide. So what is vaccine efficacy? It is a relative risk reduction, not absolute. It is relative to the vaccinated or placebo in a study. The original Pfizer trial showed an absolute risk reduction of only 0.84%. That's less than 1% absolute risk reduction because infections were so rare in both arms of the study. Next slide. By July of 2021, there were major problems with vaccine efficacy. There was an outbreak in Barnstable, Massachusetts among the fully vaccinated. Reports from all over the world showed the vaccinated were vulnerable to infection and transmission. Virus levels in the nose and mouth, a marker for infectivity, were as high or higher in the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. The vaccinated had circulating antibodies in their blood, but not in their saliva, making it more likely that they could be spreading the, the virus while being relatively asymptomatic. The CDC director admitted the vaccines didn't stop transmission. Next slide. And then this pattern emerges around the world. Highly vaccinated countries each saw uh, new, uh, each new wave getting bigger and bigger. For example, in this slide are Israel, Jordan, and Lebanon, three small neighboring countries with similar climates. The original strain infection levels were very similar in these countries, and then vaccinations occur, and Israel became one of the most highly vaccinated countries in the world. And then in the Delta wave, the Israeli cases were five times higher, and Omicron, they were 10 times higher. Each wave got bigger and bigger. Next slide. And here is the heat map for counties in the United States for vaccinations on the left and cases on the right. You can see that the most vaccinated counties are also the ones with the most cases. Next slide. Here are the, United, the U.S. states graphed out. Uh, there is a positive correlation, meaning the best fit graph line is up and to the right. The higher the vaccination rate in the state, the higher the case rate. Next slide. Here's the heat map for countries in the world. Once again, you see the correlation between vaccination rates and case rates in these countries. Next slide. And here are European countries graphed out. Once again, the best fit line is up and to the right. As vaccination rate goes up, so does the case rate. So at the county, state, and country level, this same pattern holds true. Next slide. So here's the typical graph of vaccine efficacy over time. Although initially high, it comes down over a few months. And then at about six or seven months, it actually goes negative. And that's the important point. After these shots, it just doesn't go back to baseline, to zero. It actually goes negative. The vaccinated become more likely to get infected than the unvaccinated. Next slide. 
This is from last week's New England Journal of Medicine, a study on children after mRNA vaccinations. Peak vaccine efficacy gets lower with each new virus strain, but all go down with time. And at four and a half months after vaccination, the, the efficacy actually goes negative and crosses the horizontal line indicated by the red arrow. After four and a half months, the vaccinated are actually now worse off. And the pattern repeats. Next slide. Efficacy gets worse with time and with genetic distance from the original virus. Here's a study from Denmark showing the fully vaccinated with Pfizer had a negative 76% efficacy against Omicron. So that means 176 uh, people vaccinated get infected for every 100 unvaccinated that get infected. Next slide. Here's UK data showing the triple vaxxed uh, were four and a half times more likely to test positive for Omicron than the unvaxxed. The more doses you can see in the chart, the more likely you test positive. Next slide. Here are infection rates in the United Kingdom. The blue are the vaccinated versus the orange are unvaccinated. In February of this year, at the end of the booster campaign in that country for all adult age groups, the triple vaccinated had higher infection rates than the unvaccinated. Next slide. Multiple studies have shown the superiority of natural immunity. A large study in Israel showed a 26 times higher uh, protection rate for natural immunity over full vaccination. And here is that uh, New England Journal article on children showing that natural immunity without any vaccination is very durable. At 17 months, there is still positive 50% efficacy against new viral strains. So over 90% of the population has already seen the virus, already has natural immunity to COVID by now. Next slide. So what happens when you force a vaccination on someone who already has natural immunity? In this study, children with natural immunity, once vaccinated, had their efficacy go negative after five months. Compare this to positive 50% efficacy at 17 months. This is extremely alarming as this indicates vaccination is harming the natural immunity possessed by the population. Next slide. So why is efficacy dropping to negative and even dragging down natural immunity? How is this happening? Multiple phenomena in vaccine research explain this to include original antigenic sin and antibody-dependent enhancement. Next slide. So today I'm gonna to talk about antibody-dependent enhancement or ADE. It is the paradoxical increase in the ability of the virus to infect and cause disease in the vaccinated patient or individual. As a background, the human cell has evolved for millennia to make it very hard for a virus to attach to a human cell and infect the human cell. It's very, the human cell is actually very slippery. Next slide. In response to the vaccine, the human body makes two types of antibodies. The first kind are neutralizing antibodies, which kill the virus. They do what we want it to do. The second kind of antibodies are non-neutralizing or enhancing antibodies. They bind to the virus, but for some reason they don't kill the virus. And antibodies are very sticky, so not only do they stick to the virus, they actually stick to the human cell. So paradoxically, ironically, they make it easier for the virus to attach to the human cell and infect the cell, as shown here. So with ADE, not only is the risk of initial infection worse, but also the severity of disease is worse, as reinfection is constantly occurring during the disease. Next slide. 
And this is an elegant study out of Japan that essentially shows that neutralizing antibodies required high concentrations and no mutations in the virus to work, whereas enhancing antibodies still worked at lower concentrations on a mutated Delta strain. This could potentially explain why efficacy goes negative when antibody levels drop. Next slide. Researchers, researchers have been trying to develop a vaccine for the common cold for years. Coronavirus is one of, the, one of the common cold viruses, and one of the major roadblocks of the last several decades has been ADE, in which the vaccines actually make it worse. So to believe that there is no ADE going on with these current COVID vaccines requires you to believe that in eight months, the biopharmaceutical complex achieved what they could not achieve in decades before this. Next slide. On August 11th, the CDC issued new guidance for COVID-19, specifically for quarantining and testing. They recommended that the vaccinated and unvaccinated should be treated the same, which is to say that after a potential exposure, the risk of infection and then transmission by any person is the same if they are vaccinated or unvaccinated. This admission, although very late, removes the public health foundation for any vaccine mandate, and so these man mandates should be withdrawn immediately. The truth may be that as vaccine efficacy goes negative after six months, the vaccinated are actually more likely to be infected. Next slide. The COVID-19 vaccines have multiple shortcomings. They have not decreased infection or, or transmission. They are leaky. They encourage variants. Subsequent waves have gotten bigger. Multiple nations are reporting data showing increased disease among the highly vaccinated. I understand that this contradicts locally reported data. This is from New South Wales and Australia, and just on from September 3rd, looking at hospitalized patients, where only one unvaccinated patient is admitted to hospital versus 173 quadruple vaccinated and 135 triple vaccinated patients. Next slide. And this is just the efficacy side of the argument. Of course, the vaccine is supposed to be safe and effective. On the safety side, there is a mountain of concerning safety data on these vaccines. Every reporting system across the world, VAERS, the yellow card system in the United Kingdom, the World Health Organization, Vigibase, and others all report more adverse events with these vaccines in one year than all other vaccines combined in the history of these reporting systems. It isn't just VAERS, it's a pattern. And the data is literally off the charts. Next slide. But the ultimate short uh, scorecard with any pandemic response is all-cause mortality, preventing excess deaths, deaths among those that should not have occurred otherwise. Well, according to the CDC, excess deaths were higher in 2021 after the vaccines than during 2020. This shouldn't happen in a pandemic. By the most important measure, these vaccines have failed as a public health intervention. Next slide. In conclusion, we are not going to be able to vaccinate our way out of this pandemic. With enough time, the risk of infection and disease is higher among the vaccinated. Worse still, vaccinations may potentially poison our natural immunity. The CDC's latest guidance removes any justification for vaccine mandates. So based on all this, as you contemplate extending the state of emergency, please ask the question, have mass, have mass vaccinations with a leaky vaccine actually made the pandemic worse? Thank you.
That was Scott Youngblood, military surgeon, San Diego, California, in the last uh, week or so, making a public presentation. And boy, wasn't that well stated. That was dispassionate. Every piece of data that he displayed was supported by the slides. He made, I think, a clear and convincing argument that the vaccines at this point in time are obsolete. Uh, there is fundamentally no role for these uh, in our society. Uh, I thought it was crystal clear. And just to put a punctuation mark on this, I want to play for you a commentary that I was involved with with NTD News. NTD News is the minute-to-minute -minute news outlet of Epoch Times, and it had to do with the recent study. They came out of several academic institutions in the United States regarding the risks and benefits of college mandates with the COVID-19 vaccines, particularly the boosters. And the study concluded that there will be more harm than benefit. And let's take a listen uh, in on this. Meanwhile, a new study suggests that boosters for young people could be more dangerous than the virus itself. Many students across the U.S. are allowed to start or resume their studies this year only if they get a third shot of a COVID-19 vaccine. But do the vaccine's benefits to students outweigh the risks? According to a team of nine experts from Harvard, Oxford, Johns Hopkins, and other top universities, giving boosters to this group of people can be worse than the disease itself. The scientists published a study of 18 to 29-year-olds without previous COVID infection who got booster shots. They estimate that it takes 22 to 30,000 booster shots to prevent one theoretical COVID hospitalization. But for every hospitalization prevented, they anticipate 18 to 98 serious adverse events. Dr. Peter McCullough, an internist and cardiologist, tells NTD those side effects can be even worse than the hospitalizations. A serious adverse event, by definition, is one that requires hospitalization, is life-threatening, or causes death. He says the greatest risk to college students is myocarditis, which studies have associated with the vaccine. So they're not safe. Even one case of myocarditis is one case too many in a college-age population. The illness is always easily treatable. That's the main point. The scientists who conducted the study also say that vaccine mandates for students are unethical and lack scientific support. But not everyone agrees. The National Bureau of Economic Research released a study saying that college vaccine mandates are good for surrounding areas. They found that college mandates reduced the total number of COVID deaths in a country by 5.4 per 100,000 people, a drop of 13 percent. However, Dr. McCullough cited a report by the World Council of Health that showed the combined number of deaths after COVID vaccination. There's over 40,000 deaths that have occurred after the vaccines within a few days typically. This is unacceptable. Vaccines should have been pulled off the market with just a handful of deaths. The World Council for Health is calling for a global recall after several stern warnings. He added that we can treat the remaining cases and close out the pandemic without the vaccines. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. So you can tell with that report that the, the proposal is 
to vaccinate college children to protect the community at large. And it's all based on theoretical modeling. Even this study that was uh, presented by, uh, that was done by Harvard and Oxford and the other institutions, it assumed the kids did not have COVID, where there could be some benefit. Now we know from multiple sources of data, the vast majority of college age kids have already had COVID. So that changes the equation where any perceivable modeled benefit of the vaccine is now gone. There's no benefit of the vaccine. And then the complications now are amplified because we know when patients receive a vaccine and they've already had COVID, the complication rate is going to be far above even the estimates of the study. So I can tell you the net analysis here is that vaccination among college age individuals uh, will lead to harm. And uh, now there is really a congealing of expert opinion to suggest that be the case. So I hope everyone listening to this who has college-age children, or in fact you are yourselves college-age, share this with your professors, your uh, boards, uh, your provosts, and your deans uh, in order to have them drop the mandates and get back to normal. You know, among these colleges that have mandates, I think it's notable that we never see a college president or a provost or a dean or a board come out and actually claim accountability for these mandates. The mandates uh, seem to have no internal accountability, no transparency, no one knows how they're decided upon, and no one clearly stands behind them. They're not welcomed by the students or anyone in the college community, and they should be dropped. You're listening to The McCullough Report. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. This is Dr. Peter McCullough. Do you know there's no other condition that I'm aware of where vitamins and supplements make such a big difference than COVID-19? We have an abundance of data that we need to be replete with a variety of micronutrients, and that includes vitamins, minerals, and other substances our bodies need. I rely on Healthy Cell Super Boost. That's immune super boost. It's a a gel pack that can be taken every day. I like to do it before I exercise and before I go out. It's a wonderful supplement. It gives me the immune super boost that I need. Go to HealthyCell.com, use the promotional code OUTLOUD, and get a discount on your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I want to introduce a product 
that I have grown to use over time clinically, and I've used it myself, it's called Clear, X-L-E-A-R, Clear. And it is a nasal spray that is designed for daily use. It's the only nasal spray that we've ever talked about on the platform that's designed for um, regular use. It's available at all the major pharmacy chains, CVS, Walgreens, and others. It's commercially available. And what it is, is it's a spray. It's a combination of based on a, an inert, really beneficial, complex sugar called uh, xylitol and, uh, and then grapefruit seed extract. And this has a unique ability to impair viral replication, help clear sinus secretions, works against uh, dangerous microbes, bacteria that cause sinusitis. X-L-E-A-R, it's in a green and white package. Go to America Out Loud Talk Radio, go on our platform. On the banner bar, uh, you'll see an advertisement for Clear, and go check it out. I wanted to give this uh, promotional spot uh, for Clear because I've done, I think they've done such a wonderful, commendable job in utilizing the science as well as product technology, advancing both for nasopharyngeal and oral applications of a beneficial combination of substances. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. I dedicated this issue to just an update since we're in mid-September, an update of just the really rapid news cycle that we've had through August and early September. Uh, One of the things that happened was the first announcement of the class action lawsuit of families whose loved ones died in the hospital associated with nihilistic uh, and injurious COVID hospital protocols, where the doctors, the chief medical officers, and the hospital administrators refused to enhance care above and beyond the minimalistic protocols. Some of them decided to give remdesivir where the World Health Organization advises against the use of remdesivir because it has uh, no proven efficacy and can cause harm, including kidney damage and liver damage. And that was the WHO in November of 2020. So despite that stern warning from the WHO, hospitals continued to give it. The Department of Health and Human Services continued to financially incentivize remdesivir use in the United States, and the outcome was a disaster. Let's listen in to the presentation that I made at the Fresno press release of the class action lawsuit on behalf of families in California against a string of California hospitals. The lead attorney is uh, Attorney Watkins. With that, we are about to wrap up, but we are not, not so quickly. All the way from Texas, somebody who's been fighting on the front lines here with patients and still sees patients to this day. He's been on every single mainstream media you can imagine, every conservative station. His voice has been like a lion out there. He's been at Defeat the Mandates. He's been at every rally you can imagine. He's been in DC. He's been standing up for America. Ladies and gentlemen, when I look up the name Dr. Peter McCullough, the 
angels start you know, singing and the, the heavens start opening up. He is a man of Christ, and ladies and gentlemen, we couldn't do this without him. He's a cardiologist, and he's well-known internationally. We are so proud. We are so blessed to have Dr. Peter McCullough here today. before I get going. How many of you in the audience have somebody in your family or in your circles, your church or your school or employment circles, where you've lost somebody due to COVID? It's How about 90%. You, same question. How many of you in your circles know somebody now who's got a serious medical problem or you've been lost due to vaccines? About 90%. So there's actually been now two waves of, of damage that's been done to our country. SARS-CoV-2, uh, the virus, and now the vaccines. <coughs> Let me just say from the very beginning, as I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist, that I've treated hundreds of patients. I've done my best to apply scholarship, and I have published dozens and dozens of papers on the pandemic. I'm the most published person in my field in the world of history in terms of heart and kidney disease. And as a single person, I have applied more academic production and clinical treatment and national media appearances, and I've cited more data in the media than any person in the world in history on this topic. I can tell you without any reservation, I have medical authority to render these opinions. These are the opinions. From the very beginning with the COVID-19 crisis, it fell into the minds of people to hurt other people from the very beginning. And it was simultaneous and it was all over the world. We have never witnessed this in human history. It, it landed in the most remote areas of the world to the most populated areas of the world. Everything about COVID was done incorrectly. From lockdowns to unnecessary testing to uh, a very, very uh, 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 strict <clears throat> prohibition of reasonable things to help individuals, to people losing their jobs, and then sadly to the intentional suppression of early treatment. And it was everything. And it was from the very beginning. In France, they took hydroxychloroquine off the over-the-counter market months before the virus was even announced. Months before. And in, I have a book out called Courage to Face COVID-19. It's on Amazon. Uh, you can find it in a black and red cover. We outline all of this. From the very beginning, there was a plan to use SARS-CoV-2, this pandemic, to craft a program of mass vaccination in the world. The suppression of early treatment and the suppression of any advancement in hospital care was intentional to create fear, suffering, hospitalization, and death in order to 
prepare the world's population to accept mass vaccination with no end in sight. It was very intentional. It was very intentional. In our book is the story of Miss Carol, who was admitted to a hospital in Central Texas. And the daughter is a perfectly healthy 70-year-old woman, not unlike the people you see up here. And the daughter reached out to me and I went over, she goes, Dr. McCullough, what would you do? How would you ideally manage such a patient? I said, well, you have all the rights that you should have. What's called medication reconciliation. Everything done as an outpatient should be continuous and inpatient, including the use of hydroxychloroquine, uh, ivermectin, colchicine, aspirin, blood thinners, doxycycline or azithromycin, inhaled budesonide. There is an entire outpatient protocol that has been assembled, multiple of them have been assembled. There's a major physician organization that supports all this. We had this all in place in the fall of 2020. All of that should have been continued. And none of it was given to this woman in the hospital. So she took the hospital to court. The cost hospital ponied up and hired very expensive outside attorneys. It's in our book, it's in this chapter. And the hospital fought everything. And let me tell you what the hospital denied this woman. Denied her ivermectin, denied her aspirin, full dose, denied her uh, anoxaparin, full dose, denied colchicine, denied full dose corticosteroids, which would have been solumedrol, denied her every single medicine that could have enabled her survival, and this woman died. And when she died, I felt most strongly because she was late in the syndrome that she should have gotten aspirin and full dose blood thinners. I felt very strongly about that. When she died, I told Jody, the daughter, I said, get an autopsy. She got an autopsy and the lungs were filled with blood clots. It was in the minds of those hospital administrators and those doctors, chief medical officer, the ICU doctors, they work in closed COVID units. They don't have interchange with independent practicing doctors. It all got locked out. It was in their minds to cause harm. There is no harm in giving a trial of full-dose aspirin and full-dose anoxaparin. And there's no harm in giving ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. If this patient would have been in a hospital in Mexico City, it would have gotten full-dose ivermectin. It would have been fine. How about in Athens, Greece, would have gotten hydroxychloroquine. These drugs are first line in protocols used worldwide. Yet in American hospitals, they are prohibited because these drugs are featured. <clears throat> Something is wrong in our country. Something is very wrong. The most successful study, the most successful studies of in-hospital Americans were done early in 2020 one by Henry Ford, and it was with hydroxychloroquine. In thousands of patients at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Michigan, I know it, I was a program director there. I know the doctors there. It was legit, it worked. And the most successful American study with ivermectin was done by Jean-Jacques Rochner and his wife down in the Constellation of Florida Hospital. It's called the ICON study. It was published in the best critical care journal called CHEST. In America, the most successful inpatient drugs were hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin in published studies. Now, quickly, 
Vertark and colleagues has published a survey recently, 18,000 individuals. It's only those individuals who are denied or didn't receive early treatment in the United States and worldwide were hospitalized or died. Being hospitalized in the United States with COVID is a product of not receiving early ambulatory therapy. Dr. Farala testified thousands of patients and enormous success. Success becomes less as patients come in to the hospital. In November of 2020, the WHO published its analysis from its trials and others, held a conference, had human ethicists there. In November of 2020, the World Health Organization declared do not use remdesivir in the hospital because it does not improve outcomes. It actually uh, tips the scales towards complications, including kidney failure, liver failure, and death. In November of 2020, I testified in the Texas Senate under oath on June 22nd, <clears throat> or June uh, 27, 2022. And I said in November of 2020, the Texas Senate and the California Senate and every state Senate in the United States should have had emergency meetings and said, get remdesivir out of the hospitals. It was on their watch. The World Health Organization said that. You can go to the World Health Organization website and still pull up that warning. Do not use it. Do not use it. Now, in May of 2022, the World Health Organization published an update of every single study, every meta-analysis of the use of remdesivir, and its impact is neutral. It has actually no impact on the virus whatsoever. And it tips the scales towards just if someone has a complication, like acute kidney injury or liver injury, that person's going to be harmed with remdesivir. But the published data suggests no one is going to be helped with this product, period. I'm a doctor. I take care of patients. I've been in hospitals for decades. We never are limited by protocols. Never. Never. I go into hospital, I write any order I want to. If there's a protocol and it has some base suggestions, I can look at it. But yeah, I am never circumscribed by a protocol. Never. For the first time in medical history, doctors claimed they could do nothing else but use a protocol. It was inexplicably in their minds to stick to a protocol for the first time ever. Ever, ever, ever. And the protocols had drugs like remdesivir, which didn't work against COVID, by barcetinibib, which was modestly effective. They never had ivermectin hydroxychloroquine. They had very low-dose, ineffective dexamethasone, and not full-dose cyamedrol, not full-dose aspirin, not full-dose anticoagulants. So the protocols provided a base of care that was inadequate, and any doctor who's seen and examining patients had a duty to treat that patient to the fullest ability, and it wasn't done in a single case here. That's actually what's on trial, is failure to treat. Okay? What the families were and the patients were denied is they were denied medic medication reconciliation, meaning anything done as an outpatient can be used as an inpatient, period. Period. And the other thing they were denied is called shared decision making. When your loved one is in the hospital and you're in the hospital, you have a right to share in the decision. And if you sit in the hospital and you say, I want ivermectin, that is your right. If you say, I want The rights of these people and these family members were taken away from them. 
And in our country, when rights are taken away, and there is harm caused, in this case, the most ultimate harm, the loss of life, justice will be served. The writing is on the wall. And I'm encouraging each and every one of you to pursue this with your strongest efforts. Because your pursuit of this and your pressing this case will help a large, large number of people. This crisis is not over with. And until we crack this wall and then ultimately tear it down, this will go on. People are being denied their rights and they are losing their lives. And it's happening on our watch. That's the reason why we're all here. We cannot, in a civil society, allow our rights to be taken away, especially in the setting of duress and medical duress. That's where we need the most compassion. That's where we need the most flexibility. That's where we need the most care and concern. And these people didn't get that. And the families know it. You and I know it. These doctors know it. And I say, let's join together and let's call it. Wow, that was Fresno, California. You can tell I was yet on another roll fighting off a, another viral upper respiratory tract my, my, myself. It seems like I can't seem to shake it. One infection after another. Uh, but we powered through Fresno, California. Great, great contribution from a team of, of doctors, attorneys. And I think this Fresno, California, uh, California hospitals case on hospital protocols will be a bellwether. And there are so many people across our country, across the world, who will be seeking justice uh, because so many violations of human rights, violations of our civil liberties, and then injurious actions, in a sense, personal injury occurring to people in so many different ways. In this case, the ultimate way, death in the hospital due to COVID-19. I think it's all, all going to come out. It's been just really an amazing uh, two months of news and developments uh, in COVID-19. So I wanted to take this issue and make it a dedicated issue for a catch-up in the news uh, without having an interview uh, subject on the program today. I also wanted to catch you up on music of the day. And remember, you can always send in your music contributions to uh, the platform America Out Loud McCullough Report and give suggestions on music of the day that reflects the sentiment, that reflects the emotions, reflects the tension, and then I think hopefully reflects the joy of us joining together in seeking freedom, in seeking um, uh, you know a, a discernment, 
in, in seeking uh, uh, mutual compassion, ministering to one another, uh, joining together, and ultimately the, the human joy and the uh, human resolve uh, for uh, freedom and justice and liberty and fellowship and the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, the joy of that, overcoming the darkness that we've seen with the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the false agenda, and the menace of the vaccine program. Now with that, let's bring up our music segment. This uh, seg segment and, and song came in from Rachel Trotto, and uh, Rachel works at a lighting store, and she's got a an area code that brings me back to Michigan, my home state for many years. And this is Progress by John Risch. Let's have a, a listen to this. This is absolutely terrific. It's country western. Check out the video. Wonderful scenes. Starts out with Rich and a nice uh, rural environment getting into a nice car. Looks like a Camaro. Let's have a listen. Stick your progress with a song. 
Boy, doesn't that resonate? That's progress by John Rich. And, and that phrase about, you know, leave us alone and we'll be just fine. Uh, how many of you agree with that? Boy, I do. I think from the very beginning, if we just would have been left alone, if this virus or monkeypox or the next virus that comes along, resurgence, polio, uh, I honestly believe as a doctor, uh, working in a large academic medical center. You know, our healthcare system is fine. We can certainly handle this. Uh, the deep government control that crept into rapidly into healthcare, into large health systems, academic medical centers, medical groups, uh, and assumed control in the setting of SARS-CoV-2. And for these systems to allow that control has been a disaster, an absolute unqualified disaster. Uh, now everyone agrees, but people are walking away from their uh, doctors and from their health systems because they've lost trust. And I think they've largely lost trust over two issues. Failure to treat COVID-19 early and demonstrate compassionate care, doing the best that one could do, at least making phone calls, checking on high-risk senior citizens, helping them through the illness. And then I think the second large failure is for doctors to take a stance and push vaccines on their patients. And they were relentless in doing so. They applied so much pressure and coercion, actually threat of reprisal. You know, some doctors told patients they'll no longer treat them unless they take one of the experimental genetic COVID-19 vaccines, which were racking up a safety track record of injuries disabilities and deaths that was extraordinary. That made patients feel so uncomfortable. Patients were following the data. They were watching. You know, the consent form says, go to the VAERS system. Go to openvaersdata.com and go to the system and check out the safety. In fact, people were doing that. They People would go to the consent form. They go to openvaersdata.com. They go to the website toggle over to U.S. territories. And then here are these numbers. These are the numbers through September 9th, 2022. Now, this is a gross underreporting. This may represent as few as 1% of all the cases that have occurred. But listen to these numbers. I want them to be in the record on the McCullough Report. This is through September 9th of 2022. We're coming up now. In December, we'll be two full years into the disastrous COVID-19 vaccine program. Listen to these numbers. 14,438 Americans have died. The majority of those in the frequency histogram have died on the day they take their vaccine, the day afterwards, and then the uh, day that follows. The vast majority, by a mile, the death is nearly immediate. How about these other numbers congruent with this? 68,624 hospitalizations thought to be due to the vaccine, 103,355 urgent care visits, 170,209 doctor office visits, 2,312 cases of anaphylaxis, that's fatal or near fatal acute allergic reaction that happens right in the vaccine center, 5,841 cases of Bell's palsy, a paralyzed face, 
8,846 CDC verified myocarditis or pericarditis. Remember, this is a special adverse event of interest. The CDC calls doctors like me, and we go over the troponin, the EKG, cardiac MRI findings. 32,368 cases of severe allergic reactions to polyethylene glycol, the lipid nanoparticle, or the polysorbite 80 that's in the adenoviral vaccines. 13,140 life-threatening conditions that could have taken life. 7,737 7, cases of shingles, painful skin rash, reactivation of varicella, zoster virus, 1,779 miscarriages. And uh, in total, this is astonishing for Americans, 865,585 uh, 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 reports, safety reports. Now, this is just the U.S. Now, if I toggle back, and again, I'm on www.openvares.com forward slash COVID uh, hyphen data. If I toggle back to the world, which includes the U.S. and some European and Asian countries, now we have 30,935 deaths. And again, all the numbers are bigger. But this is cohesive uh, and reporting a story that even though it's a gross underreporting, these are massive numbers. These represent an unqualified biological catastrophe. It is a pharmaceutical biological catastrophe that people have taken these vaccines in large numbers. They've then later on been pressure coerced and then some under the threat of reprisal, meaning losing their job, getting kicked out of the military, getting kicked out of school, were forced to take these vaccines and then go on to suffer these injuries disabilities, and deaths. It's an astonishing story. It's a story for all time. I think everybody listening to this should be disturbed. It's not just me thinking this. I had others on the program today, and you could hear their testimony. You could hear their presentations. I think it was clear. Let's everybody, the next time you visit your doctor, bring up the issue of the vaccine and then mention your concern that you don't think the vaccines are safe enough for you. And just leave it there. There's, there's no reason to debate things with your doctor. If you perceive a drug or an injection is not safe for you, you have the right to express that concern and you clearly have the right uh, to decline that treatment. And I think if that message uh, came over and over in office visits, I think slowly this would sink into the minds of doctors who largely have been duped on this. The vast majority of doctors have taken all the vaccines and boosters. They're fully aligned with the program and their minds are having the hardest time understanding that the program is not safe for the public at large. With that, I'll leave you with this edition of the report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.